is linked to the cast your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher spotify and many more i'm your party host dave ryan back from assignment and i'm joined by uh my brothers in arms firstly the platforming prodigy that is mark robinson how are you friend i'm here i'm ready to talk about the platforming feels like it's been quite some time since i've spoken to you uh let me see it would have been the e3 prediction show would have been the last time yeah we would have been on together quite some time that's nearly a month my friend yeah i know which time flies you might say it's been a while i'm gonna walk to newbridge and punch you in the face you don't walk places, Mark. You can't fool me. How dare you? I am, I am a man of walking. I am a man of the walkers. <laughs> Mark, Mark, I'm going to stop the show right here. Can you walk? I can walk. <laughs> I've never seen Mark and walking in the same no, no, room no, no, no. before. No, no. Now, I do, I now do admire standing. the spite of it, though. Now, like, standing. He's not going to get the train. When the train is like two minutes walk from his house, he's literally walking there to punch you. Right. For a stained reference standing, in 2019. I'm going to walk to the train and I have to stand like on the platform with my jaw kind of leaned. <laughs> <laughs> well, so he goes past you through the station. He gets yeah. the, the non-stopper direct to Limerick and just whacks you around the craw. Yeah. I have to go to the other platform away for four hours then. <laughs> for him to come back around. For to come back. <laughs> Finish off the other side of your face. That's what he gets you with the down. haymaker. Yeah, oh, if you can cooperate dear. with me on that, that'd be great. Okay, so the perambulating pugilist Mark Robinson is here. And oh, we... <laughs> that is off the cuff. I mean, we might as well just end the show now. <laughs> Outrageous. Also joined by the big dog, the Roman Reigns of audio, Mr. Chelsea, Jack Lazell. <laughs> hey, yes. I am the glue that is sort of weirdly holding the show together, but also making it fall apart at the same time. So you guys the, are welcome. <laughs> the, the glue under the heat lamp, Jack Lazell. Yeah, here. that's right. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Chelsea. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You had to you had to identify yourself as Mr. Chelsea at a post office last week. <laughs> <laughs> that is a genuine fact. Yes. Dave, I, I thank you for your wonderful bounty of crisps and Venezia merchandise. Uh, but yeah, I went to the post office to pick up a parcel. David addressed me as Mr. Chelsea. I got a bit of a look from the woman when she handed it over, like a, an eyebrow raise. I had no Arsenal idea. Fan. Just, Arsenal fan. I, I'm just sat there with a big shitting grin on my face, ready to, to receive whatever my bounty was. And then I, I took it and I looked down and I saw it and I'm like, oh man. And I, <laughs> I look so happy about it as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking right love yeah i'm pretty oh, sure Mr. I'm, I'm pretty sure i ordered the dominoes to my house i don't know if they still do it but when you um or at the time you'd order a, a domino's pizza and it would have like a barcode on the side and it would have whatever name you ordered it has um, yeah, yeah. so i know i ordered <laughs> yeah. i know i ordered one once as max Payne. um <laughs> i i <laughs> I, I once ordered to to Jack, and then in like the quotation marks, the inconvenient poops lays out, <laughs> <laughs> based on a on a on a gag I was running with my missus at the time. I was actually uh, gonna. I I had, I had originally my original joke was going to be refer, to refer to you on the package as Jackery Lazel. Jackery. But um, then I, I, I was hoping, because I, I don't know the Royal Mail very well. I know over here they're very strict on the person who it is addressed to must pick it up if you yes. go to a certain office. And I was like, you're Jack, not Jackery. I could see it being sent back to me and me having to spend more money to send it back a second time. 
Exactly. Although, Dave, what what did I address uh, uh, a small bit of football memorabilia to you as about a month or so ago? I believe it was to Dave Rave, the turntable slave. (laughs) It was actually Dr. Dave Rave, Ah, the turntable slave. Um, and, 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 an ill thought, uh, an ill conceived attempt at, to get a nickname going for me in, uh, in college, Dave Ray of the Turntable Slave. That's your version of the Rossa Trump. Yeah, there was that. And there was also the, the other one they had that my, my housemate tried to get going for me was, uh, Dave, the grave can't stop the rave, Ryan. <laughs> Oh my goodness Which, me. I think if I had been like the an overnight DJ at a radio station, I think either of those could have been a flyer, but Listen, there's still time for you. Yeah. Yeah. If I'd just been doing like acid house music, I think that yeah, that would be a proper fitting nickname. But anyway. Funnily enough, we're we're here to talk about the video games. But but before we, we get into that, Mark, how has your week been? I feel like we've talked about the, the, the post service. We haven't really heard much from you apart from your I I always enjoy listening to you to just talk your hot nonsense. Um no, my week was pretty quiet. Um I did see Toy Story 4 and uh, I really was going into that itching to just want to not like it because there's something about when you have like a perfect <laughs> trilogy. No, no, no. Listen, listen to my never theory. A sentence that <laughs> you up more than... Listen <laughs> to. Hey, I just... I'm talking here. Can, can I finish what I'm saying? Can I finish what I'm saying? Thank you very much. You know when you just you have a, a perfect trilogy of, of films, and yeah. you know, like the end of Toy Story three is is perfect, and it really is that kind of thing where it just there doesn't need to be another one. And he's Mark referred to that film by his proper title, Schindler's Toy Box. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and we've seen um, Pixar have had a number of sequels over the last I don't know ten years or so, where there's been misses and there have been hits. Um, and, and some kind of real kind of obvious cash-ins. And it kind of felt like that this was just them going, well, it's Toy Story, so, you know, it's it's going to do well just on the, the name alone. So I was kind of worried and itching to go in to just not like it on that. But, hey, I came out of it, and though it, I wouldn't say it does anything that, you know, I wouldn't say it was a necessity of a film to be made, I still very much enjoyed it. I still, it's still, uh, Tears were wept at the end, uh, and and I I think that Toy Story Four is actually a very good film. Dave, have you seen it? No, I haven't yet. Um, I, I will talk about the, the film I've seen in a second, but uh, I haven't really had been able to carve out a lot of cinema time between my holidays and then trying to kind of get caught back up on work. My uh, humble brags. Yeah, my my cinema going has been kind of regrettably few and far between. Uh, have you I was seen it? I have, but I was going to say to Mark, Mark, rank the Toy Stories now, because my order is three, one, four, two. Oh, I Jesus. Uh, so Good I actually, I'm actually intending... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm intending to watch the first three Toy Story films in the, the near future. Uh, I'm currently doing that with the Pirates of the Caribbean films, except I've never seen four and five. Films. Why are you doing that to yourself? That is just a bad way to spend time. Yeah, Pirates of the well, Caribbean, or as the franchise should have been named, Diminishing Returns. I, I, you know what? I am perfectly content with well, okay, two, because I haven't watched the third one yet. Uh, I think two is a little bit long-winded, but I still think it holds up pretty well. I do remember thinking three was a bit of a hot mess, and I've never watched four and five, but for all intents and purposes, I've been informed that they're not great. 
but I'm going to watch them because why not? Uh, but off the top of my head with Toy Stories, I will probably say uh, three, one, four, two. But I need to really go back and watch the first yeah. two at least to uh, nice. Yeah, to to see. We agree on order. Yeah. You want a couple of fullbacks in there as well, I think. But, yeah. um, but three has to throw in it, so you get the protection from the wide men in the yeah. four, you know. On the uh, on on the Pirates of the Caribbean thing, before we move on, uh, I remember my favorite review of Pirates of the Caribbean three was. Do you remember? This is this is old school YouTube reference. Remember? Do you remember Ask a Ninja? No. Okay, so there was this YouTube channel where you could. Uh, mail in and ask a ninja questions and he would answer them in character as a ninja um, and he had done like an incredibly exhaustive review of the second Pirates of the Caribbean uh, the the key my key memory of which are the lines where he was just saying Kraken over and over again and um, where he said if you can't what is it if you can't um Remember which one Orlando Bloom is? He's the more feminine Keira Knightley, <laughs> <laughs> which is like an ungodly burial. Um, and then yeah, for bland. the for the uh, for the Pirates of the Caribbean three review, he just came in at the start and he just just goes, "I'm just reposting my Pirates of the Caribbean two review, but just wherever I said Kraken, just imagine I said plot hole." <laughs> nice, that uh, is fair. They are all hot garbage i'm afraid that's what i'm saying the, the first, first one, one was a romp it was yeah at the time look, have you watched it back when was the last time you saw it i watched it within the last two weeks and well, it... no, i know mark, mark you're okay uh, you're clearly you are 100 percent flying the flag i'm not you, saying you, I'm flying you... the flag but i think that that first film still holds up as uh you know a fun <laughs> you... swashbuckling fucking I'll tell you, Mark. <laughs> oh, here's the thing. Could anyone my, one do of my fav- a, a review of Pirates of the Caribbean without mentioning the word swashbuckling? <laughs> <laughs> one of my one of my favorite things about you, Mark. I have known you for many years now at this stage, and you could you will still throw me curveballs sometimes. When I woke up this morning, if I if someone had if I woke up and there was a gun to my head and I said, "What what hill will Mark die on today?" I would not have said Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm not dying on this hill. I'm not saying it's the best <laughs> fucking film ever. <laughs> <laughs> I I heard the word Citizen Kane of pirate movies come out of your mouth. <laughs> oh dear. The Casablanca of, of swashbuckling tales. <laughs> By the way, Mark, I also cannot review Pirates of the Caribbean without saying swashbuckling. Like, it's just physically impossible. It has yeah. to be. What the fuck is that? Um, there was a film in the 90s that was a. Uh, like the a major hook. No, is it, was it Treasure Island? What the fuck was it? Muppet Treasure Island? Muppet's no. Treasure Island? No, 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 no. Oh, tre- oh, yeah, with... Oh, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Fuck. Gina Davis. With Gina Davis, yes, absolutely. Um, Jeez. Fuck, what was that film? I have to go and look it up. Not Gina G. Not Gina G. Who <laughs> <laughs> are mean, just a little Island. pirate. Who are a little pirate more. It's Cutthroat Cut Island. Island. That's the one. Yeah, now that film that sucks. What a what a lineup: Gina Davis, Matthew Modine, and Frank Langella. Okay, then. <laughs> oh dear, I, I've never seen this, so I might. This might be my homework for next week. Its only redeeming quality of being around that period is it's slightly better than Waterworld, but that's about it. 
Now, Mark, would you say that it's a swashbuckling good time? What, Cuthbert Island? Yeah. No, it's a swashbuckling buckling bad time. Look, all I'm saying, are you on pirate movies, Muppets Treasure Island has Tim Curry in it. I mean, yes, that's the best pirate film of all time. Um, yeah. Automatically but he's not Tim in Curry. space. Uh, the the last thing I the, the last movie I want to talk about um and I don't know how much we, I I don't want to talk about it too much because it just came out this week and I don't think Mark has seen it yet or at least he hasn't mentioned it. The Ballad of Joe Spiderman Two Electric Boogaloo yeah, came out this week. Uh, Spider Man Far From Home. I've seen it. Jack's seen it. Yes. Um, staying completely detail free because it only came out this week because uh, we don't want to spoil it on Mark or the listeners. What did you think of it, pal? I really, really liked it, and it's very hard not to say how much or why I liked it without saying any details, but it had heart, and it hit all of the right beats, and we know Mysterio is in it, so we know this ahead of time, so this is definitely not a spoiler. I thought Jake Gyllenhaal fucking nailed Quentin Beck. He was so good. I thought, um, you know, sometimes when you're proper um, actors come and do uh comic book movies they really like they either phone it in or they camp it up just to have a bit of fun because it's not a super serious movie but holy hell like jake gyllenhaal brought his chops to play like he he's proper like all caps acting charismatic so charismatic yeah anyone that knows kind of what quentin beck is about as a guy like the way he plays it with the charm just makes it make all the more sense when what happens happens if you don't know who quentin beck is yeah you think you know who quentin beck is and even if you you do know it doesn't go the way you think it will in quite the way it will um it's very very good and i think uh, better than homecoming i think (sighs) i think i I think if you take out this surprise at how we weren't expecting homecoming to be as good as it was i think it's a better movie I, yeah, and Tom Holland, by the way, was really, really great. And yeah. I, I think every time I see him do anything, he just, he, he just gets a little bit better. It's like he's, he literally is growing up in front of us as an actor mm-hmm. in these Spider-Man movies, uh, and obviously Associated Avengers. And, and, yeah. and if you listen as well to, um, Jake Gyllenhaal did, has done a few interviews, like obviously on the press tour for this, and he talks about how like Tom Holland really takes the the being the custodian of of spider-man very seriously you know what i mean yeah Uh, definitely like there's a real passion and energy and you know what that that guy is just so excited to be spider-man like andrew garfield was like oh yeah it's cool to be spider-man toby Maguire was like leave me alone i'm actor toby (laughs) Maguire." so like (laughs) i i I regret this intensely (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly people are just going to be referring to me as spider-man for the rest of my life but like <laughs> not Tom only the Holland spider-man is... but now at this point there people would refer to him as the worst spider-man even though i don't think that's fair no it no he's the he's a very good spider-man he was just a terrible peter parker andrew garfield was a pretty good peter parker but it's like no you're too tall and handsome to be that guy like there's no nerdiness like he he never convinced me and, and that's not his fault hundred percent although they didn't do an amazing job with the scripts on those movies anyway but love the film thoroughly recommended to mark and and all of the listeners yeah i and, shall uh, be doing a watch on that pretty soon one Good last stuff. thing i will say and say no more stay to the end yep 
specifically yeah. stay to at least the mid credits. Yeah, minimum. Yeah. yeah, my word. My <laughs> say nothing. Say nothing. Um, right. Finally, video games. Let's go playing this week. Hey, check it out! I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy Two. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, you're the, the odd man out here. There's one thing you've been playing that uh, I have played a little of, but I'm not kind of in a position to talk a huge amount about yet. Uh, tell me about Cadence of Hyrule. All right, so uh, it seems like a lifetime ago since I actually played that. But uh, yeah, Cadence of Hyrule came out and is this kind of weird spin-off of uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer, which isn't a game I ever got around to playing, but I know a fair amount about uh, being this kind of dungeon roguelike uh, dungeon crawling roguelike uh, rhythm action game. It's kind of this weird hybrid of all these styles. Uh, and, and this was effectively that, but with the Legend of Zelda branding slapped on top of it. And the, the kind of general layout of Hyrule and dungeon crawling and all that kind of good jazz. Uh, so I was more than happy to jump into this. Anything that is kind of uh, Legend of Zelda-esque, I'll you know, give a go. Um, pretty quickly, to explain kind of the way mechanically that the uh, Crypts of the Necrodancer and by extension uh, Cadence of Hyrule works is that it is a rhythm action game and that you have uh, you know a kind of standard screen that you would see uh, and I'll use the Legend of Zelda the 2D top-down Legend of Zelda as, as the reference point um, the the map or the the kind of square part of the, the level that you're on uh, is split into uh, different squares um, and you can kind of think of it as a chessboard to a certain degree and uh, when you go into an area for the first time and it's littered with enemies, uh, the, the soundtrack is, is kind of blasting, it's blaring, it's very upbeat, it's very up-tempo. And uh, you have a bar at the bottom of the screen and you can see kind of bars coming either side where they meet in the middle. And to move, you have to move in time with the beat of the rhythm. And it's all in 4-4, so it never does anything too weird with that. And... Uh, yeah, every time that you press up, down, left, right, in time with the music, you'll move. Now, the enemies are also moving in time with the rhythm, but they don't move in accordance with you. They have their own patterns. So you'll have some enemies that move on every two beats of the bar, some that move on every four beats, and so on. And so you kind of have to figure out their patterns and the way they move to avoid getting stuck in a corner or anything. Um, mm -hmm. I suck <laughs> at that mechanic. Uh, I, through a combination of just clearly, for whatever reason, not having any rhythm and coordination and having no patience for it, because um, the issue with the, the mechanic for me is that every time you go to move and you don't move on the beat and you fail, you, you it kind of a, a, an error message appears and you don't move. Um, and that was very frustrating because like if, you know if i'm on an empty part of the screen and i just want to get from the bottom to the top i just want to go up but you have to move kind of one movement at a time instead of just kind of moving in a straight line and that's kind of where the legend of zelda part of me was coming in not thinking about this as a crypt of the necro dancer game and so i uh i was struggling for about the first hour i must have died about 10 times and the roguelike part of it is that anything you collect, like keys and rupees, 
they uh, they're taken away from you when you die. The only thing, that, the only permanent currency, I think, were like pearls or or diamonds. I think they were, uh, which you can use to buy weapons and whatever else. Um, but I just kept dying, and I just couldn't get into the rhythm of it. And I think after maybe about the tenth time, the game goes, "Hey, you kind of suck at this. Do you want us to remove this mechanic and um, play without having to move in time in the rhythm?" And I was like, "Yes, please, let me do this." This isn't in uh, Crypts and Necrodancer. This was just for for Kings uh, of Hyrule. And immediately, the the game became a different type of game. And instead of being a rhythm matching game, it became more like chess. In that, when you would come onto a screen with the enemies, instead of them moving with the rhythm, they move every time that you move, and then they move in accordance. Super hot. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit like that, actually. Yeah, I I was thinking more like chess uh, in regards to that. But you know, you might move one time, and then there might be a spider that moves like every two times that you move. Uh, yeah, once every time, two times that you move, um, and so the game took on a completely different flow that I don't know if it was intended to be like that, but you ended up with, you do end up with kind of two very different games in that in that regards, and I much preferred the second way because it just meant that I could explore like a dungeon uh, a lot quicker um, and at my own pace, and I wouldn't have to kind of focus on moving with the rhythm. And, um, and you know, I've seen people say that that completely takes away from what the game is meant to be, because it's meant to be, you know, a, an off-take, an offshoot of Crypto the Necrodancer. But I didn't play the original, and I play Legend of Zelda games. So to have this option for me to play at my own pace and the way I kind of want to play, uh, I much prefer yeah. that. And so it just it ended up with a slightly weirder take on a Link to the Past or Link's Awakening. Yeah, I feel the the kind of the people who would argue about the way you play it, it kind of almost falls into the same territory as the people who get mad about people wanting easy modes in Dark Souls. And yeah, like, well, kind of. It's this weird kind of thing where um, we've talked about it before and a lot of podcasts talk about it, so we won't dwell about it. But um, the idea that video games are the one kind of uh, medium or, or art form that kind of gate the experience off on you based on how good you are like if you're not good at a certain type of game you're never going to get to experience the whole thing like a dark souls people might be into the aesthetic or or that of the dark souls but if they're not good enough they're never going to get the full story of a dark souls game and it's kind of shitty that way um so for people who like you said just can't get their head around the rhythm thing it's a nice way if they want to to have an option of you know just exploring this nice little zelda adjacent experience without having to kind of drive themselves slightly batty trying to keep in 4-4 time yeah the only thing i will say is that it, it really is a case of it's not so much that it's like an, an easy way to play the game though it is but it does it is a completely different game um without that kind of core mechanic because that is what uh crypt and necro dancer is is based around is the idea that you move in time in the rhythm so it is a different game and i can see uh an argument to be made that it does kind of take away the essence of that but still for me it's like i just i'm playing a, a different version of a zelda game and i just prefer having my way to play it so um but in regards to that you know, kind of as a, a top-down 2D Zelda game, it's a lot of fun. And uh, it took me about five or six hours to uh, to finish it. And it's, you know, it's a pretty, you know, packed, condensed little game there. Um, and uh, I think I 
did about 80-85% of all the content there. The, the icons on the map are a bit small, so it's kind of difficult to see like what is a heart piece and what is a treasure chest. Um, it, it suffers from, it could do with more dungeons, and the dungeons that yeah. are there are pretty small, and they're pretty similar, um, where you have like the, the kind of top half of the dungeon which follows the the kind of the, the game design and aesthetic of, the, of of Zelda dungeons that you're used to, but then you go down to the basement and it takes on what I feel is very much uh, akin to kind of Crypt of the Necrodancer, where there's these um, kind of dark, compact areas where there isn't really much in the way of uh, problem solving, as more as just kind of getting through a large array of enemies using the what would be the intended design of the game to move it in rhythm, um, but with the way I was playing, it was just, you know, just kind of clearing out enemies as quickly as possible uh, and making sure I didn't get packed in, uh, or trapped in the corner. So it's it's pretty cool. It's very much a surprise. Um, if I was going to have like a surprise game of the year that I enjoyed, uh, I'd probably have this way up there. Uh, the soundtrack is phenomenal. Uh, it's the same guy who did the original Super Meat Boy uh, soundtrack and the, I think he was on the Binding Advisor soundtrack as well. Uh, and it's, you know, just taking... It's weird to say taking songs and making them like 8-bit retro style versions because, you know, it's fucking Legend of Zelda. But he does it in very much his way that he style he does. I can't remember for the life of me. I need to go and find his uh, name. Me by Composer. Uh, what the hell is his name? You really hit that keyboard like it owes your money. Yeah, no, right. Um <laughs> Danny Barrow, Danny, Danny. <laughs> that was like really good foley. Danny Baranowski, <laughs> Oski. Uh, I'm not sure on the last name, but yeah, he's awesome. He's kind of way he converts music uh, and, and you know makes this kind of like electronic tinge style of music using uh, kind of classic retro music, video uh, Zelda music. Uh, it's really really good. It's one of my soundtracks of the year, uh, and I definitely recommend going to listen to it. I can't remember if it's on Spotify, but it is on YouTube. The whole thing. So yeah, it's really cool. I, I definitely recommend it. But I can see why, uh, if you don't enjoy it, like the original way that the game is meant to be played, the other way of playing it is for me just as enjoyable. Um, yeah, I've only just started to get into it and I haven't given up on the rhythm mechanic yet. Uh, but again, I was kind of, we'll talk about it, but it was like the game came out as I was finishing the game we're talking about in our final segment this week. Uh, and I was kind of just, I just wanted to not have my brain challenged in, in any way. Um, so I kind of, I, I need to go back to it. I have a five hour train journey tomorrow, so I probably will get into some of it, I imagine. Um, Anyway, the other game that's on the list, uh, with the exception of the game we'll be talking about later in the program, all three of us have played. Um, a game that we thought was pretty cool when we saw the trailer, but I don't think we had any comprehension of how fun it was going to be. Um, that's my friend Pedro. Um, but Jack, we haven't heard from you for for a while. Uh, do you want to kick us off on my friend Pedro? Yes, my friend Pedro is an absolute blast. Uh, it's basically, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but it's basically a 2D John Wick game, I think. I went, uh, I went Trials meets the bullet time from Max Payne. Yeah, I guess so. There is definitely an element of Max Payne in there. But it's just, like, scenario after scenario to creatively murder a room full of dudes. Um, so y the mechanic is that you 
Well, first of all, there's a, like a sentient floating banana that tells you you need to kill people. And I haven't really thought too much about it until I've just started talking, but that is pretty fucked up. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the guide through the game. And then you, uh, as you sort of get further in, you can find sort of creative slow-mo ways to jump and flip and spin off walls. Uh, and you can you have two dual-wielded pistols slash Uzis at one point if you pick one up. And you can aim and you can just shatter people's heads. And it's a game where not only is killing people and not getting hit uh in your score but also the stylishness with which you murder people counts towards the the thing that you get at the end of the level yeah it's it's an absolute blast and a half and i thoroughly recommend anyone picking it up what do you guys think uh yeah like i i kind of i had the thing is in the week that it came out uh i was seeing the reviews like i had pre-ordered it just on the strength of um I was going away on holiday and I wouldn't have had the bandwidth to download it and I, I knew I wanted to play it. So I kind of just had it sitting there on the, the switch. So all I needed to do was connect once when it came out and it would unlock the game. Um, but I was kind of getting a bit uh, disappointing in the, in the lead up because I was seeing reviews come in where people were like, ah, they weren't really high on us. And I think a lot of it comes down to the, the control scheme being a little bit kind of there, there's definitely a learning curve going on when they start layering in the the different things you can do with the two sticks and the the, the triggers um, thick and fast early on in the game. But I, I didn't find it to be a, a real impediment for me at all. I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I, I probably should have expected it more from a from a Devolver digital game, but I wasn't quite prepared for just how fucking weird that game gets. Um, towards the end, uh, it, it gets pretty kind of like if you've seen any of the Devolver E3 press conferences, you're in that right kind of like adult swim surrealist humor headspace. And that is kind of what what happens at various points in, in Pedro. Um, add into that uh, something that I think is really clever that pretty much the game times very well, um, like almost as soon as you're starting to get a bit okay this is getting slightly repetitive they change something up either they change the setting uh so that there's a different kind of enemy or a different kind of uh traversal challenge going on or that's the moment they pick to add a new weapon in and they're pretty much mark consistently adding weapons in almost up to the final act of that game yeah, it's pretty much from the get-go. It's either here is uh, a new uh, weapon to use, or here is a, a new, uh, you know, level mechanic level idea. And yeah, pretty much from the start to the end, the ideas that, that are thrown in are they they come thick and fast. And uh, I never at any point during the game kind of got bored or tired, and were at the point where a, a level felt like it was going on a little bit too long or an idea was getting a bit tired it ended and the next level began and i mean for me with the control scheme the only thing that threw me off and i didn't really get adjusted to towards the end is that you know if you want to turn to face uh the person who's to the left of you and you're facing right you don't just turn left you have to press left on the right analog stick to then face that way and I died a lot because I I just I 
for a start, I didn't figure it out to begin with. But, you know, I was firing in one direction when the guy was behind me and I was, you know, hammering left, but I was only just walking backwards. I wasn't actually turning around. Um, and that isn't, yeah, that it, isn't it natural, was, you know? It was kind of applying the logic of uh, how the sticks work in a 3D shooter to a 2D shooter. Yes. Um, it, it was like you were controlling the camera almost with the right stick, but you weren't controlling the camera because it was 2D. Yeah, it was... I think once you, if you were able to get over that in particular, then you were, it was a cakewalk from there. And it was, uh, as I said, it was a learning curve at first, for sure. And trying to figure out exactly how that, like, pretty cool mechanic when you pull it off of being able to um, do a secondary aim at another target. Like, as you're jumping through the air, you can be pointing at one person and shooting them, and then your other arm is shooting, like, say, the guy you're jumping over to get to the, the first guy. Um, yeah, that's how well, I got around it, though. So, like, Mark's problem that you just said, like, if I'm facing the other way, I just use the right stick and aim it at the other person and shoot them as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mainly it was just I didn't clock on that that mechanic, the the right analog stick could change the direction you were facing to kind of halfway through the game. Uh, uh, but even then, at that point, yeah, it still took a little while to get my head adjusted to that. Um, I found that, you know, I wish it had a few more bits and pieces. Like I wish they had uh, more with the the skateboard um, and kind of little ideas like that in some of the levels. Um, but you know, overall, I think it does a, a really good job of of and and upping up the ante in terms of the the difficulty. Uh, and I think as well as like a game, I think the length of it was kind of just about the right amount. Um, and just, I think maybe the only other thing as well is is when you're in you know max time bullet time mode, it would have been nice if it had a little bit more maneuverability or, or kind of different things you could do while in slow mo. Um, but you know, the, the bit where you kind of jump over a box and do kind of a corkscrew front flip while taking out like three guys around you and then pulling up, pulling out a shotgun and, you know, standing in front of someone and blasting them. Like it has a lot of those kind of just cool moments where you're like, you feel like a boss playing it. And, uh, I, I think it nails all of that really well. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It, it traps that cool factor in a way that a lot of games uh, struggle with. Um, I think a lot of them, especially those kind of, you know, um, in the twin stick shooters that kind of look almost too slick for their own good, try to nail that that cool factor. But the level of satisfaction isn't anywhere close to, to when you like pull off and then say in bullet time flippy do uh, in this. Another... I was gonna say another really satisfying thing to do, and I don't know why, is just squashing dudes under the barrels, just like mm -hmm. hitting the barrel, and then that person starts shooting at you, and it just comes and squashes them, and you flip over the barrel, and then like take someone else out. Uh, so one of my, I live for those moments. I also live for the throwing the the pan, frying pan up in the air, shooting the frying pan, and have it ricochet and kill people up on a platform above you. Um, yeah, that is I, also I, incredibly cool. And similar with the the, the kicking the uh, the petrol canister up in the air and blowing it up when it's in the middle of a bunch of dudes. Good times. Um, Do you think it has anything? Uh, anything? Any like low points? Any weaknesses? Uh, you know that you come away from with. Um. Again, it's probably that. Just the, I think 
you probably could have taken another pass at that control scheme and made it a little bit easier for people. Um, like he said, it's not like well, like we've all said, it's not some of the more complex maneuvers in it aren't that automatic and we're kind of spoiled that in the modern era of shooters both 2 and 3D it's kind of usually quite intuitive you know it's all kind of universally agreed upon this button does this this button does this um so certainly it kind of gets a little bit frustrating sometimes when you're trying to learn um that you think not in a way that I'm not getting this but also in a way that this this probably should be a little easier um to figure this out um, other than that, nothing like there's a couple of levels, like I said, that threaten to go on a bit too long or run the joke or the concept into the ground. But usually it's right around then that a new mechanic or a new type of enemy or a new um, weapon uh, comes into play. What, what did you think of, uh, Mark, as a man who who enjoys his his old timey games? What do you think of the, the what they did with boss battles in this game? Yeah, I, you know, none of them. Um took me more than I think like one attempt um, yeah. but they definitely added up a little bit of variety uh, I really liked the, the the level where you were uh, falling and the way that, and actually I remember there was the, the motorbike uh, boss battle as well um, that felt a little bit a little bit on the kind of automated side I guess uh, you didn't have as much kind of freedom with movement uh, as maybe as liked it kind of felt a little bit like uh I was playing like a PlayStation 1 game or something with the way it controlled. But yeah, you know, it added enough variety to them. I guess they could have had a couple more. Um, but for what they had, had, had uh, I think that they, they worked well enough. So yeah, I, I, I thought they were pretty cool. Uh, anything more to add, Jack, before we move on? No, um, low price point as well, I think, is worth saying with this one. So Like 15 what, quid or something? Yeah, something around that region. So I think for that, price like it, it it represents pretty decent value as you as you said the boss fight thing is cool they kind of feel like separate events that kind of you know challenge you on different mechanics and things that you've gradually mastered um it does a good job supporting you learning the the way to play the game i i always found anyway um and it's also a game where a lot of the time there are opportunities like if you don't want to be strategic that you can just run and gun it Especially if you kind of set it on easy, you can just jump around and just shoot people and not even really use bullet time and stuff. So it's not something that you have to get super good at to the point where you're doing all these sort of balearic moves. So I, I think I had a, a great time sometimes just flying through, just shooting the shit out of people. And then other times I felt more Max Payne and wanted to slow it down. So I think a lot of people will play it and have different experiences. My only wonder, and I raised this to the two of you, is that do you think it'll be a little bit disposable so kind of come end of the year come kind of game of the year time when it comes to the the crunch if you will uh you know nothing of the crunch exactly do you think we will uh think of it as fondly it's a bit like an album you like and then you go back to it a few months later and you're like yeah this is just okay uh, I think the thing that I'll hurt it is like the 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 brief time we were with us that there are going to be kind of more lengthy games that will leave a, a kind of more memories of it as it goes on, and it's not such a, a sucker punch of a surprisingly great game. Like the the one I think of for a short experience that absolutely will endure throughout the year for me is Ape Out. I, yeah, I can't. That's I can't. My game of the year so far. Yeah, yeah, I can't see Ape Out 
falling out of my my top 10 at all this year whereas i think as cool as my friend pedro is um you know if we have an absolute belter of a q3 q4 this year um i could see it dropping down some places um and that's true no fault of its own it's just kind of um we're halfway through the year when this game came out and it's usually summer is usually the quiet time um the calm before the storm um and it may not you know um we may not remember it as as well by the end of the year but we'll we'll find out um let's move on to the news gentlemen news on the mark First up, gutting news for myself, Mark, and the topic du jour for the show this week. Cuphead, the delicious last course DLC, has been delayed till an unspecified date in 2020. Aww. But Mark, we did get our first little snippets of gameplay from the delicious last course. Um, I am really excited and fearful of... of <laughs> what this DLC is going to cover up for us. Uh, how are your hype levels doing? Um, I am probably going to go into this blind. I didn't watch any of the, the video footage. And uh, I think that for you personally, I think that it, it gives you a nice kind of welcome break because I've been, you know, you've been updating us uh, kind of yeah. you know, every moment that you <laughs> beat a boss no, or no. failed a boss. Yeah, we'll be talking about it in much greater length later yeah, on. <laughs> yeah, so I think for you, I'm sure you, you welcome the, the break away from it. But, you know, it's one of those things that, and, and we've said it every single time, that if a studio needs to take the extra time to add whatever kind of last weeks to make the game as good as it can be, or in this case DLC, yeah. then I'm fine with that. Yeah, we should probably have expected it anyway, because Lord knows before, like, they delayed the game by, I think it ended up being nearly two years, um, because they just kept having ideas, and they kept just wanting to refine it more and more, and when it came out, it was amazing, so we should probably trust uh, MDHR on this one. My only thing uh, that I have curious about is, like, how how much DLC will there be? Like, how many well, bosses will there be? This is the thing. I like. I, we were talking about this in the group chat that like we know they've basically said there's another island, um, and that there's going to be some more charms and and things like that. But I I don't know if that like if there's kind of another, if it's just one island, if it's how many bosses are on that island, and what's is the level going of to... the difficulty of those bosses on that island? Yeah, um, uh, and as, as well as that, like, will there, following the completion of that island, will there be a DLC equivalent of the Devil's Casino, where there's kind of like an end game period after you do that? Um, who knows, really? Um, I'm, I'm excited to play it. Um, like I said, you're going to go in blind. I'm not going to give you any of the, the details about it, but it will not shock you to learn. Like It's only a 30-second trailer, and you get maybe cumulatively about four to five seconds of gameplay in it. Um, and it will not shock you to learn one of those bosses looks like a real piece of shit. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Just what so, I want to hear. No, I'm not really looking forward to that one. Um, but anyway... Um, yeah, that's it. slightly disappointing news, but but again, as we say, if it they take they need to take the time because this is not the kind of game like it's so beautiful and handcrafted and things like that. You really don't want to rush that kind of thing because we didn't rush it the first time and it came out pretty goddamn great. Yeah, and I'd imagine as well that they've had so much more time. Uh, you know, considering they made the first game, 
Uh, but in terms of like using assets, in terms of just kind of working within that style, you know, I, I imagine they can make a lot more content in a, a short period of time, uh, mm. just because the 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 use of that engine and that art style now. Yeah. Uh, moving on, por- popular forklift driving simulator for assholes, Shenmue, is in the news again, uh, as Epic Games has promised to fund the cost of refunds for consumers who are unhappy with a Kickstarter project they backed being an exclusive on the Fortnite firm storefront. Um, this comes, Mark uh, and Jack, from the idea that uh, Shenmue 3 was originally a Kickstarter project announced at Sony's 2015 E3 press conference. Um, and since then, they've uh, signed a deal uh, to, on at least PC, be an Epic Games uh, exclusive. And uh, people are kind of pissy that, and understandably so, that, hey, we got this on Kickstarter under the understanding that we were going to like be able to get this game on our platform of preference. And that may not be the case for PC players now. Um, so y- you got to say, uh, you can't be too mad at them for this. No, no, but I think, I don't know if me and Jack were talking about this, uh, or we were speaking about this at some point in the not too uh, distant past, about the the Epic store, and, and you know, because there are a lot of people who just absolutely swear off uh, the, the store um, because they use Steam, and I mean, it's just another launcher, it's just another client, you know, there isn't anything that more of a just people are lazy you know and and they want to have everything in one place and i mean in this instance here sure it's not exactly false advertising but i can imagine that if you don't use the the epic launcher uh the epic game store and you're expecting to have this on steam i can imagine why you wouldn't be displeased but it's not like the game is not available to you it's not like you have to fork down money to use the Epic Game Store. So yeah. I think that it's a bit unreasonable to say, to demand a refund for something that you still have the complete capable means to play. Yeah, you I know? mean, I, I, do, I do guess, though, like, it's just, it's one of those, and we're getting this way with streaming TV as well, where everything has its own platform now, and you feel like it's going to um get to critical mass and even though the platform is technically free it's still like taking up space on your pc and your game library is now fractured across three or four different streaming services or not streaming services distribution platforms as opposed to just being in one tidy neat little collection and stuff like that so whereas i don't think yeah i don't think it's the end of the world really i can get being a little bit annoyed about it especially when you know at the time that the kickstarter started you wouldn't have thought that this was going to be a problem and these kind of guarantees they make should be kind of future proofed against that sort of stuff Um, yeah it's just you know um it's obviously something that came along the the kickstarter itself came along before uh epic was a thing and and i'm sure we'll get more cases of this um i'll be curious to see if we get more cases of this uh going forward in terms of Kickstarters and whether they, you know, kind of declare their intentions. Well, I, I can't imagine they can even declare their intentions to be, you know, exclusive to one store or another. Or they'll say within the Kickstarter itself that, hey, you know, be aware that this could end up on a particular platform or whatever. Or, you know, as long as the game is available, refunds won't be granted. Or I, I don't know how they would word that. But um, 
don't know. I for me personally, like if it was uh, a Kickstarter that was going to be on PC and then it'll be like a PS4 exclusive, then sure, that's a, the grounds for a refund. But I just, mm. I just think it's it's not grounds. That, you know me. I I I find this to be. Uh, not necessary for for grounds for a refund, but hey, fair play to Epic for for granting to to cover that. So that's you know uh, gives them a little bit of good PR, I guess. Hey Jack, are you ready for my most uh, off-piste uh, introduction to a story this week? I mean, you need to hit me with it right now, son. Jack, you enjoy Father Ted. Oh, oh, oh no! Please. <laughs> It's not, is it, about about uh, about Glenna, the man? No, no, I don't know who you're talking about, because that show was written by Arthur Matthews and nobody else. Um, okay, good, good. All right, continue no. with your story, because I was getting real sad for a second there. No. Um, so, there's an episode of Father Ted, Jack, the King of the Sheep competition, the, the, the episode, I believe, called Chirpy Burpy Cheap Sheep. That's the one. And uh, it includes one of the more famous bits of... Uh, a comedy in that show where uh, Ted accuses Fargo Boyle of being involved <laughs> in the conspiracy and the whole crowd goes Whoa! and one man very audibly goes fucking hell um, this I feel best describes the situation with Playstation Plus this month <laughs> yeah what's going on there so originally the Playstation Plus lineup for this month included Pro Evolution Soccer 2019 um, it seems like people got real. I, I like I, I kind of PS Plus has gone so downhill. Um, that I we used to have a segment on the show where we would talk about, oh, here are some cool games this month on PS Plus, and it feels like that has gone by the wayside. Um, but I, I came onto Twitter, and for the first time in a while, people were talking about uh, PS Plus, but it was about how fucking annoyed they were about PS Plus this month. Uh, and then all of a sudden, kind of without a real detail as to fucking why this was happening, um, Pro Evo got pulled from the lineup and it got replaced by uh, Mark's game of the year from uh, last year, Detroit Become Human. Um, what do you make of this do whole situation, think, Jack? It's fucking weird. Do we think David Cage... In some sort of fit of like fleeting French anger, has <laughs> has managed has managed to uh, swear PlayStation away from Pro Evo, maybe by like planting some sort of story about you know something that happened with one of the Pro Evo game producers, and they were like, oh, we're gonna have to pull Pro Evo. Um, have we got an alternative? And then there's like a, and there's David Cage at the front door, and he's like, I got an alternative for you. Detroit bitches, what up? I'm well, Cage. The main thing I want to understand is what happened where Sony needed to make this change. And for me, I can only see two things happened here. Either there was whatever level of kickback and and uh, uh, grievances from uh, you know Twitter and whatever parts of the community saying why the fuck is Pez nineteen on here? You know that it's just. It's a, it was a, such a poor lineup this month that maybe Sony just heard that amount of feedback and criticism that they went, okay, we need to but, 
to me, it wasn't the to, like. This is the thing that's weird to me. It wasn't the Pro Evo part of that game's uh, collection for this month that was the bad part. It was the other game, which I'd literally fucking never heard of in my life. Um, well, they usually have like one smaller indie game. Um, yeah. So I mean, that, that isn't anything. Like it's just it's just curious because usually they do these deals. That the way they get the PS Plus things mm-hmm. on, you can hear about it in the the No Clip documentary for for Rocket League talks about this, where basically PlayStation come in and they just like offer a big fucking cartoon novelty check worth of money because. Obviously, if they're going to give away your game for free for a month on the platform, they've got to offer you some sort of money to balance that loss of a potential loss of revenue. Yeah, so my um, only other thing that I can think is that because of who we're dealing with here, that Konami decided to just fucking make life difficult and so he went, oh, fuck this, we'll just go and get that French guy. That's part, yeah. part, see, yeah, Because part of me wonders, so they, they'd obviously have Detroit in the back pocket because it was a first-party game. Uh, Quantic Dream are, are under the, the Sony umbrella. Um, so part of me thinks that maybe Konami got cold feet, um, not just because they're incompetent tossers, but because literally the, the weeks following E3, they've been focused on the their completely rebranding Pro Evo. Um, like, what's that new name it's got now? Um, it's called something else. It's like... E football pro. Hold on. Um, it's, I like it's, the idea of it being incompetent. It's not called. Like it's not. It's not called Pro Evolution Soccer anymore. It's oh, it's called E Football Pez Twenty Twenty. Huh. Yeah. So the last few weeks have been waves of PR for that game, trying to, I guess, get it into your head that it, it's called something else because we had winning. Uh, work 11. on me, Dave. They had the trailer, then they had the announcement of the demo. It, like it has been, it hasn't been working, but it's clear like that it's a systematic approach of we're going to have every couple of weeks a new story about this game to slowly but surely get that name into your head, and it's going to take a lot, a sustained period of time because it's been called Pro Evo in the West since Jesus, nearly twenty years now. Um, and 64 was the first one, right? Do you remember? Uh, that that was ISS Pro still, wasn't it? The first Pro Evo was PlayStation 2, I think. Do you remember in was the... Was it on the... ISS Pro Evolution? Yeah, it was ISS Pro Evolution, but when they dropped the ISS and it was just oh, Pro Evolution yeah. Soccer, that was PS2 as far as yeah. I remember. Yeah. Do, do you remember when we had, like, in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, there were a, a ton of different football games. Like, you had fucking... This is football. This is football. I think Michael Owen had a football game. I think fucking Steve Gerrard had a football game. Michael, uh, Michael Owen had one that had an indoor soccer mode on it, as if I recall correctly. Yeah, those uh, those are the glory you days. You're forgetting Chris Kamara's football Chris. game. <laughs> uh, sensible soccer, obviously. And yes. Um, uh, my personal favorite was, was Road to the World Cup 98, which was... I think FIFA affiliated, but that was... I, I loved This is Football because it had a dive button. Um, and... The, the best thing about the dive button was so it was a dive button when you were in possession but when you were not in possession it was a big two-footed hoofer guaranteed red card tackle button <laughs> nice. which just didn't need to exist but there it was and also um, this is football specialised more so than FIFA does on the regional cover stars uh, for see. their game so this is football legitimately had John O'Shea on the cover one year Oh, dear. 
Um, but I was going to say how specifically regional. Like, would you go to Stoke and get like Jonathan Waters on the cover? Big John, you're talking the big books for him. Um, yeah. But the other thing that they announced uh, this week, speaking of uh, eFootball Pez, was that uh, they've excited. So they tend to because they don't have the collective licenses because FIFA have the licenses with the the uh, organizations and the leagues as a whole. So they have to go and kind of piecemeal do individual deals here or there. So they, I think they're just at the end of a big whopper deal with Liverpool uh, that they had kind of uh, Liverpool as part of the branding for the game for the last three years. Last year was also the first year with Barcelona. Um, and because they signed this deal with Barcelona, because it works slightly differently to the league, now the new camp isn't in FIFA anymore. It's just a kind of generic big outdoor stadium, which is weird because FIFA is so kind of immersive with its comprehensive, all the big stadiums and the match day presentation and all that. And then all of a sudden Barcelona are just playing in some random fucking stadium. But anyway, um, they have signed their new exclusive deal with Manchester United and made of all the players, Scott McTominay, uh, Pro Evo ambassador. Um, so that was their, their new story for this week. <laughs> Why? Yeah. I'm at this point either Konami have either um, like some random intern is is handling all of their kind of western uh, dealings and handlings or they are just doing it all out of Japan and therefore have no fucking clue what they're doing one, one of the cool things I will say about Parivo like since they went to the Fox engine that game looks and handles really great um, and you know their player for the the teams they have agreements with the their facial scan technology is miles ahead of FIFA. Um, it like it's it's oh, it's creepily photorealistic sometimes how some of the player models in that. Whereas kind of FIFA outside the the top strata of names in football, it gets a bit fucking choppy what they look like. Yeah, but I mean, how many actually? I like... think it was maybe about three years ago before Antonio Valencia looked anything remotely like he did. How many, how many actual life? kind of character models do uh, Konami and Pez have to work with? Because they have a, a much smaller pool of, of people that they have to make. I imagine they have more time to actually work on those models. Well, you see, this is the thing. I, I think it's that part of the appeal of the doing these uh, piecemeal deals is that, oh, when we do a deal with a specific club, we take out the real high-tech shit. Yeah. <laughs> and we make sure that they look fucking top-notch. Like, you could see on Wayne Rooney every single fucking cigarette he smoked um, a few years ago when they introduced this technology. Like, it was a fucking... It was haunting looking at him. Um, Did they digitally recreate his, like, hairpiece that he's got woven in? (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. They did. (laughs) But, Um, yeah, anyway, they made the swap, and they've they've got the the David Cage trifecta of hell up on there. And... (laughs) It's not a trifecta, it's only two games. Isn't it? I thought it was... Is it, oh, is it's it just not, Beyond? It's not Heavy Rain as well? Okay. Right. No, it is Heavy Rain, but not Beyond. Oh, right, right, right. Well, I, I guess, the lesser of two evils then, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's the it's the best two of the three. Um, <laughs> because... <laughs> oh, man. Because it is that Beyond Two Souls, who boy. Um, go to our YouTube channel. Myself and Mark played through that one. I will never one. forgive you for making me sit through that fucking thing. <laughs> the best, the best one was I was like, right, we're going to do this as a series where we play through all of them. I was like, okay, we'll start off with the worst one and get it out of the way. So we did the worst one, and then you moved out. So we ne- <laughs> we never got to do the better ones. <laughs> was that a ploy from you, Dave? You were like, oh, he's not oh no, we did have, yeah, we did heavy rain. 
we did heavy rain yeah. and we we had i think we had started or, or at least i had because i know i downloaded fahrenheit to get ready to do um but yeah heavy rain is heavy rain is definitely better but that's grading on a curve uh i will admit there's a steep <laughs> fucking curve at that anyway this next one let's talk about this cunt of a man uh <laughs> dr ready. disrespect but you know um, what? before you start the, the the worst thing about this is the sheer fucking inevitability of it all. Mm. That he would be reinstated to Twitch and anyway, carry on. Yeah. So did you guys talk about him while I was gone? I don't remember. I don't think we did, no. Okay. So at E3, he was doing kind of an IRL stream, they call it, where he was just being in character as Dr. Disrespect walking around the floor at E3. And he went into live stream in a public bathroom. Uh, which, funnily enough, is not only a breach of California state law, but also the Twitch terms of service. So he was booted from the platform for all of two weeks uh, in the week since our last show. He has made a triumphant, uh, from his perspective, comeback to the platform, um, which has obviously induced groans and worse from uh, anyone with their head screwed on correctly. Um, I mean, it's right there in the name. He is Dr. Disrespect. Like yeah. if he was Doctor Kindness and Brevity, then maybe <laughs> this never would have happened. So we've only got ourselves to blame, don't we, the way I see it. We gave him the power. We did. Uh, was there I mean, like he's a Twitch streamer, right? Were there any, I mean, how many jokes were there related to bathroom and stream and yeah? <laughs> so he issued uh I, I I guess technically you would call it an apology, but like it's one of those not sorry sorry ones um and about like you know your apology is off to a rip-roaring start when he refers to and i quote the dr disrespect brand um (laughs) yeah it's poor the man is trash he should have been banned um there was a lot of people talking about how like he was obviously going to be let back uh, inevitably and what do you do from twitch's point of view because twitch the, the last time, so he took a leave of absence from Twitch because it was found out that he was cheating on his wife. Um, and he kind of took some time away. And, and when he came back, his comeback stream was the most money he'd ever earned for a single stream to that point. And there tends to be this kind of like, if you take a regular streamer away for a little while, then bring them back. They they make just a boatload of cash and subscriptions on their return. Um, so it was almost like doing the two week ban and then just letting him back was almost like rewarding him for doing it. Um, yeah. And the, the the most well, I mean, one of a number of tragic things about this is like you would see um, any number of either news articles about it or uh, Twitch comments about it, and just the the flood of people underneath. Um, going fucking wild about how this was censorship and there is nothing that infuriates me more than a person using well a number of things but just any person who uses the term censorship without understanding what that actual fucking concept is i makes me want to put my head through a a window because among uh, among my favorite things about this was that it was outed anecdotally um that apparently at i think it was at twitchcon most recent TwitchCon, he was walking around and there was streamers who were trying to get him on the stream and he was going crazy at people for filming him without his consent. Yeah, it's just, you can't make this shit up. Uh, I am, 
I'm not even angry because, again, the as soon as I saw that he was banned, I was like, well, he'll be back before however long. Um, and it's it's a very depressing thing to see because you hate there was between between violating Twitch's terms of uh, service and between violating the actual kind of government law. Uh, I think a statement should have been made and it should have been taken clean off. Um, but there, hey. there, there was an interesting um, because something that keeps happening is like people who are making Twitch a lot of money and are very popular on Twitch seem to be allowed to do whatever the fuck they want. And there's been a lot of censorship of communities of color and things that are being kind of um, things that they're doing like the communities of color are trying to do on twitch they aren't even that controversial and they're getting more of a slap on the wrist than the guy who filmed in a public bathroom was and it's uh, the same wanna... with youtube and twitter and whatever else as well you know yeah and i want to direct your attention to so there's um there's a great podcast out there called spawn on me uh that's i i believe the man's name is khalif adams and he did uh, a podcast this week about this exact issue and and he's a he, he's a person of color and he was just basically saying when anything any of these headlines uh happen i like to think to myself if it was me would twitch let me back on after two weeks and he's like absolutely they wouldn't have they would have thrown the fucking book at him <laughs> You know, so why is it one rule for him, uh, like, you know, for like communities of color or people who just aren't making as much money as Dr. Disrespect and one rule for him? I've obviously said the answer it's there money. because he's earning them a boatload of money. Uh, it's money. It's not anything. It doesn't matter race, creed, gender, sexuality, any of that shit. If you're making shitloads of money for someone, you can pretty much get away with whatever. Jeremy Clarkson, like it, he had to punch a man in the face. <laughs> to get taken off the air in this country like he had Sorry. to commit physical fucking violence and that yeah. was all the also and that was all the controversy Jack. where he had said the n-word in the recording of a episode yep yeah. yeah also also jack if you put it the other way jeremy clarkson had to punch an intern in the face to get the single most lucrative deal in streaming service history for amazon yes yeah that so he didn't even get it. punished <laughs> no he didn't but like, how do you punish a person like that if they still remain intensely popular? Like, exactly. a, as much as this guy, you know, objectively from looking at this is a is a dickhead. If people are willing to forgive him for that and just jump back in and enjoy his content, like, there's not really anything anyone can do about it. So, you know, I, apart from not give him a platform. And if Twitch don't give him a platform, someone else will give him a platform, and he will make someone else a boatload of money. Yeah. So, so from a like a purely corporate, disgusting perspective, it would be ridiculous for Twitch not to uh, unban him. So that that's the flip side of the argument. Unfortunately, that's Life the way the world is, uh, seems is to work. It yeah. is, it is, and the more notoriety you have, and the more money you can make someone, the the more you can get away with things. Have a look. There's a there's an NFL player called Tyreek Hill. Uh, he was an unbelievable wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs last year. I don't really want to get into what he's currently in the process of being banned for because it involves violence, and it involves violence against minors. But it's pretty hideous. But I know for a fact that Kansas City are probably doing everything they can to make sure that the charges go away so they can chuck him back out there because he's he's the best player and 
he's really important. And like, if stuff like that can get done, it kind of makes this whole Doctor disrespect situation look like ridiculous. But it's just the world is is generated by money, and it's very sad uh, that people can get away with it. People still like PewDiePie, and he said some pretty fucked up shit. It's it's the same thing. It'll happen Matt, time and time again. Looking at our runtime here, I'm just going to nix the last couple of things off our news because I want to talk uh, for a little while about our, uh, our our big game of the week and, and move into our book club segment uh, where we talk about a significant game from the past that you should play for the first time if you haven't before or play again if it's been a while. This week is one that's relatively recent for us and very current for me. Let's talk about Cuphead. Well, Cuphead and his cowboy men, they like to roll the dice. By chance they came on Devil's Game, and gosh, they paid the price. Paid the price. And now they're fighting for their lives on a mission fraught with dread. And if they proceed but don't succeed, well, the devil will take their pants. Cuphead is a run-and-gun indie video game developed and published by Studio MDHR. First announced in 2013, the game was released for Microsoft Windows and Xbox One in September 2017, for Mac OS in October 2018, and the Nintendo Switch in April 2019. The game was inspired by the rubber hose style of animation used in cartoons of the 1930s, such as the work of Studios Fleischer and Walt Disney Animation, and seeks to emulate their subversive and surrealist quality. Cuphead features one or two players taking control of the animated characters Cuphead and his brother Mugman to fight through several levels that culminate in boss fights as to repay their debt to the devil. The game was praised for its art style and noted for its challenging difficulty. It was both a critical and commercial success, winning several awards and selling over 3 million copies by August of 2018. Gentlemen... Cuphead. It may surprise some to hear me do this introduction because if ever in this book club there was a Mark Robinson game, this my friends is it. Um, Mark, let's go back to this idea that it was first announced in 2013. Uh, Cuphead was briefly shown in a Microsoft sizzle reel in a blink and you'll miss it sort of situation and I distinctly remember both of us at the time Watching this isn't really like, what the fuck was that? Go back, go back. Me, you, and um, just about anyone else that watched that video stream. It was, it, it's the most eye-catching thing in the world. I, would, I mentioned there in the introduction, the, the early Walt Disney and Fleischer Studios 30s Steamboat Willie uh, fucking animation. Like, obviously, in an indie scissor reel, that shit is going to stand out painstakingly crafted every frame in this game hand drawn um and that is absolutely the thing that draws you in uh, at first isn't it um yeah i mean like there is very very little out there 
uh, in terms of video games that have this sort of style. I mean, I remember back to some of the uh, Mickey Mouse games in the early 30s on the Mega Drive, uh, and I'm pretty sure I remember seeing levels that uh, either kind of reenacted scenes from Steamboat Willie or whatever else. So, you know, uh, but in, in 2017, when this game was released, the way that this game just visually looks and the high level of production to both make it look high quality um, but also keep in essence that 1920s 30s style of animation is uh, something that still when I play it today on my Switch uh, it blows my fucking mind and uh, and I'm not surprised it took as long as it did to, to make the game uh, to, to how long it took for it to be released um, before we even get onto the actual kind of design of the game. A thing I will contend with from this uh, Wikipedia description is the idea of it uh, strictly as an indie run and gun. Because really, in terms of, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of how much of the game is run and gun and not, it's not really a run and gun game. It's a boss uh, rush. For the, for the most part, it is indeed a boss rush. And if anything, the, the run and gun levels were introduced later on in the development process because once people who were playtesting it behind closed doors were reporting back that it was just a boss rush and there was no platforming uh, levels to it, they kind of went in and, and added that stuff. Um and the boss rush element and the difficulty element, Jack, in in spite of uh, the appeal it may have to you artistically, is probably what has kept you at bay. Yeah, I mean, I've watched people play on YouTube. I, I've heard you and 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 uh, Mark talk about kind of how miserable <laughs> at times the games made you, or how difficult you find it, and. Like I, I do think it is just one of the most sumptuously beautiful things I've I've ever seen in video yeah. games. And like I, I'm saying ever, like not this generation. Like yeah. it is one of the most impressive feats I've ever to, to have something that looks so. Even though it's a TD, T, uh, 2D game, like how immersive the characters are with the background of what's going on. Like you could show it to somebody, and it does just look like a, an amazing cartoon. But the, the the difficulty curve and just like how frustrating the game looks just really do turn me off uh, wanting to play it and just appreciating it from a distance and uh, just enjoying the level of anger and frustration. Because at times in the last few weeks, Dave, it felt like you have had like a personal vendetta against the game. I, I will get to my journey with Cuphead quite shortly, but by the same token, Mark, the same qualities that may have sent Jack and in me a previous incarnation because I, I did get this game on Xbox and bounced off it so quick. Those same qualities that ran Jack off it uh, or keeps him at bay and originally ran me away from the game screaming at my tail between my legs. Uh, by contrast, those same qualities give you an almost incurable erection. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it very much was challenge accepted. Um, the way that I looked at these uh, boss battles, they have a lot of similarities to any to the, the uh, bosses in Mega Man games. <clears throat> in that it's you, know, it's you and it's this boss and it will have uh, a fixed pattern and once you figure that pattern out, you can defeat that boss. Only problem is it might take you about 100 attempts to figure out that pattern and defeat that boss. And, 
And that's not really an exaggeration. <laughs> no, it's really and not. And you enjoy this? Yes. Why? Well, because Mega Man 2 is still one of my favorite games of all time, and I grew up playing those types of games and enjoying those types of games. Um, and I've, and, you know, even something like, say, uh, a Trials, for example, you know, in Trials, that level is the same every single time you play it. So you only have to figure out what is the, the pattern, what is the route that I need to take to get the fastest time possible. It's exactly the same as that. It's just conveyed in a different way. But it's the same thing in terms of, you know, if I take on, um, say, Bonbon, uh, uh, bon, what the fuck's her name? Um, Baroness von Bonbon. Baroness von Bonbon, yeah. I know that she has uh, five mini-bosses, and I know I'm going to have to face any one of those mini-bosses. Um, or yeah, at least three, three of the five. Yeah. yeah. But the pattern that those mini-bosses have is the exact same thing every time. So I just need to make sure I know how to defeat any of those bosses, and you know, it's the art of repetition and through failure, but I'll get there in the end. So then get me to the final part of the boss battle with her, where, again... Once I figured out her pattern, I could defeat her. But it's just, it's success through failure and, and trial by error. Um, and it's a lot of, you know, it's it's all based on your ability and, and skill level to get yourself to a point where you can defeat those bosses. And uh, and that is, that is you know, a Mark Robinson game down to a T, except Dark Souls. Wanna... Yeah, one of the things that I think was uh, a wonderful balance in this game is that there's a kind of hard that I feel is just almost uh, remorseless and without reason levels of punishing. And I would put things like um, a meat boy in, in, in that perspective. And you may disagree with me on that, Mark, just because that it is more in your wheelhouse. But to me... No, meat boy is... The, the last world of meat yeah. boy is worse than anything in Cuphead. Yeah, stuff like um, that that level, that strata of game feels to me like uh, that's where all the fun is drained out of it because that is not just, that. that's not you learn how to be better. That's you need almost pixel-perfect precision and that, that is where the fun drains out of it to me. There are several different ways to skin a cat in Cuphead, both in terms of the way you can do your loadout with your charms and your specials and things like that. Um, and also there are just kind of, depending on what way you play, you know, there there are people that find different bosses more difficult than another. And the, the thing about death in Cuphead, which is a thing you need to just embrace because it will happen quite frequently, um, is that every death in Cuphead feels like you know why it happened. And it feels like it's less of you dying and you getting kind of one answer closer to figuring out the riddle of this boss. Um, there are very few times um, there's maybe one boss I can think of where I thought I this is a or maybe two bosses where I'm just like, this is this feels a bit unfair. This attack or this, this phase of the boss. By and large, it felt like when I die, I learn. Even if in the moment I'm annoyed because I got within a fucking hair of, of beating a boss uh, or whether I was a mile off, I might be irritated for a moment. But then I, I think about it. I think about why I died and I, I, I learn to be better next time. Um, and you asked Jack about why it's um, kind of like why we like this game or why we say we enjoy this game as we play it. And it is because it, it, it isn't so unfair and anger inducing to me like a meat boy or something like that i i continue to play i continue to learn and then 
whereas it may not be in the moment to moment because it's so difficult uh, as fun a jaunt as, as an easier uh, platforming game the the trade-off is the immense satisfaction gained from finally beating that boss and that that's a level of satisfaction i don't recall having with games very often in my adult life you know games by and large are kind of either they're a game that you don't necessarily clear like a fifa uh or they're games that are kind of it's not as much of a challenge as like it used to be you would get you would only be able to afford one game every few months with your pocket money and you'd kind of have to get good as they say now uh, and lots of games back then were bastard hard that's not necessarily the case now uh, and it's a real throwback to that uh, and in terms of like the the, the satisfaction as well I, I think that's the that, that's the key there uh, but that's uh, that still I don't think is tempting you Jack is it <laughs> It just doesn't seem worth the frayed ends of my sanity. And I, I can sit back and I can enjoy it from afar and, and I can enjoy the sort of discourse between you and Mark and, you know, watching you post up like how close you were to taking down this boss, that boss. I love Mr. King Dice's song. <laughs> like there's so many things that I really like about this game. And you know what? At some point, it is just going to be so low in price. It's going to be hard for me to not spring on it. I know I will. And I know I'll probably play 10 minutes and and I won't want to play it anymore because it will just, it will do things to me to to try my patience instantly. And that's not taking anything away from it. Uh, It's just something that that doesn't necessarily appeal to me because I can get a sense of satisfaction from doing a lot of things. Like if I sprint up the stairs at Seven Sisters and make an overground train, that's pretty satisfying uh but yeah i don't have to sit there for hours and hours trying to get that same sprint up the stairs just just so so i can swing through the doors so yeah it it it, it's not it's not for me that doesn't mean i don't think that it's fantastic though at what it does and what it is yeah i i think um Jack hit on something there that that is part of the whole experience, Mark, before we go into kind of like the best and worst bosses, um, which is something like I'm definitely eager to hear from you what you thought. But uh, first, let's talk about the music. Um, the the Molden Hours who, who made this game, it was a real family effort because I think it was the two brothers and then like they had several relatives working with them on the game. And then the composer for the game was just a mate of theirs who lived down the street, who just happens to be a very accomplished jazz musician. Uh, Obviously this, this soundtrack absolutely bops. Yeah. uh, I've watched, um, they have a whole bunch of uh, videos up on YouTube of the the recording of these songs. And uh, for me, like my, my personal favorite is uh, floral fury. And uh, it just, it's like, you know, jazz music is not my go-to, but when jazz music hits me, namely the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack and Cuphead, uh, it just, it fucking, I could listen. I've, I'm pretty sure, you know how uh, Spotify has its, uh, like, end of year, uh, like, here's the top five songs that you've listened to. I'm pretty sure Floral Fury will be in my top five, because I've listened to that thing on fucking it repeat since uh, Cuphead was put into the Switch. And it, you know, just every song has its own kind of unique flavor to it. It's all yeah, within. Obviously, that. 
Jack mentioned Die House as well. Yeah, it's all within that big brass band style of, of music. Uh, and none of it sounds like... It's none of that kind of pretentious portion of, of the uh, jazz world. It's It's all just big and bright and bold and you know sometimes it goes a little bit off kilter and you know the fucking the time signatures oscillate all over the place but it all just fits within the fucking high frantic chaos of what's going on the screen and that's the thing that's what makes a good soundtrack is when it fits to what the gameplay is and it just they the visual style and the the audio they the the soundtrack they just go hand in hand Um, before yeah. we go in, it's, it's very uh, rare you get an aesthetic and a and a and a soundtrack that perfectly go hand in hand with each other. That's what I like about observing like the game uh, from from a distance is that everything feels on purpose. Like every inch of this game is considered and thought through, and it is so well packaged and with a level of care and attention, like that you haven't really seen in many other video games for a, for a long time. Not in this sort of modern era of, you know, kind of DLC and, and loot boxes and stuff like that. I think it kind of makes it stand out even more. And Not that it wouldn't stand out in previous generations, because it absolutely would, but the way video games have kind of shifted, and I think what is making Nintendo in particular stand out a lot at the moment is that because there's so many cynical games-as-a-service type things around, Cuphead is like a fucking beacon of random, shining, jazzy light in a sea of madness at the moment. Uh, and, and I just think that does help it make even more of a presence out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mark, as a man who has... Um... Actually, no, Joe, you know we'll, we'll talk about first. We'll talk about the fact that Against all odds, Mark, I beat this game. <laughs> yeah, let's go is... back, let's first of all let's go back to 2017, right? Because you bought this yeah. game because I didn't have an Xbox One. You did. Yeah. yeah. You knew that I had to play this game. Um, yeah. More I, so, I, I... more so than I knew I had to play this game. You knew I had to play this game, and I think in the end, you really just bought this for me more than anything else. Yeah. Well, the thing was, like, I was interested to play it, but I knew it was a worthwhile roll of the dice because, worst case scenario, I bounce off this game and get to watch you put yourself through it because once I I saw a quick look of this game, I knew as soon as you got your hands on it, you would not stop until you beat it. Oh, God, no. Regardless, of, regardless of how this game abused you. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I was right. Uh, and, yeah, like, you zoomed on ahead and I bailed out. I think it was by the blimp on the first island. I was like, fuck this. Um, and, yeah, that was it. Because, the one, I've never really felt at home on an Xbox controller because it, the Xbox One was my first ever Xbox. And um, I was only about maybe nine months to a year into owning one at the point this game came out. Um and as well, just uh, as noted before in the show, this kind of game typically isn't for me. Like, I, I enjoyed Mega Man and the like when I was a kid, but that was a long, long fucking time ago. I, I don't play those games typically anymore. Um, But yeah, then it, it comes out on Switch, and I was like, well, 
Switch is probably the best shot I'm going to have of beating this game. One, because I love my my Joy-Cons and my Pro Controller on Switch. And two, because this is a game that I'm going to kind of like rage and put down every now and then. And if I could just bring this console everywhere with me, I can chip away at it over time. And this is the best way for me to beat it. Um, and yeah, you beat it on Xbox at the time in 2017. Have you beaten it on Switch as well now? I have, and I've been struggling to complete it on hard mode ever since. Mm. Uh, so yeah, you, I mean, I think what was it, over the course of, I want to say a week maybe, that um, we sat down and uh, I think I did the first island pretty quickly and then... You you got all the way to the genie without significant difficulty, and he's like the first or second boss on the second island, and and then was when Cuphead revealed its hand to you when you were in too deep. Yeah, because it, it is kind of like that first island is very much a, a very good introduction to hate. This is what this game is, and yeah. um, I'd say you know like the root pack in, and Google Legrand are, are very kind of. I don't think they're particularly difficult, but they definitely they're give you an idea. They're good tutorial bosses. Yeah, it's like, hey, here's what a boss is going to look like in this game. It's going to be split into two or three different sections, and you need to keep in mind that um, you're going to have to learn a couple of different patterns. And also keep in mind that um, you're not going to see kind of like how far along you are in terms of having defeated this boss. Uh, you just have to kind of... Yeah pray to the high heavens that we're in you're on the last section of the boss that you just can kind of whack a punch with your charge meter and uh, be somewhere near the end depending on which that what that boss was um but you know ribby and croaks has a little bit more challenge and definitely uh both uh the flower and hildeberg are where you get a little bit of an idea of okay right there's definitely a little bit more challenge to this but yeah it's definitely the genie on island two where you yeah. a first of all the uh the level design and just how that level looks uh with like the the desert and that uh, pyramid and everything in the background like that is one yeah. of the best look looking levels in the game um and actually I, I remember both of us just being as blown away as we were by how that game looked up until that point when we saw that we were like fucking hell yeah that was the that was the real kind of like this is like we already thought it was amazing but that was like when it went into this is a special, special game. yeah. Yeah, this is absolutely special as the word. Um, and the genie, yeah, is the first time I remember you, and not the last time, literally screaming at the television <laughs> and at your hands as they just fell apart trying to Why are you failing beat me? a boss. Yeah. Um, Mark, before we bring this to a close, because we could be here, like we could spend a, a two-hour-long podcast just talking about boss by boss by boss, and that's actually not a bad idea to do that at some stage as a special episode. Uh I want two top three lists from you here. You're going to say something, Jack? Sorry. I'm just laughing at the idea of you guys doing Cuphead on the book club and then that not being enough for you, that you have to then yeah. redo an entire episode specifically Jack. boss Jack, by I, boss. If I had uh, been able to stream this whole game and experience this odyssey I went on, you'd want to talk about it for two hours with me as well. Um Mark, I want two top three lists from you. I want top three favorite bosses, and that could be in terms of the actual fight or in terms of the the, the animation or the setting or what have you. Any criteria you want, your top three favorite bosses, and then your top three 
hardest bosses because both of these I think will be interesting because we are different people. We play games differently. Uh, and I would like to hear which ones challenged you more than others, because I know uh, our, myself and a friend of the show, Matt Niner, most of the bosses he found difficult were ones I found difficult with a couple of exceptions, I think. So it'd be interesting to see where you line up with me on this. So top okay. three favorite bosses, top three hardest bosses. Uh, favorite bosses. Uh, I love the dragon in terms of both. You sick son of a bitch. Because I didn't find the dragon to be that difficult. But, like, in terms right. of, like, the visual style of it, I mean, the dragon just, uh, it looks incredible. And the fact that it's one of those boss levels where you have to move from platform to platform. So not only are you avoiding the dragon and his fireballs, but you're also having to make sure that you don't, you know, fall off uh, a cloud in, you know, into the bottomless pit. Um, yeah, Jack, so by, by the way, Jack, just for the, the uninitiated, for if you were to, um, just to, to show how, how sick young Mark is, you will be hard pushed on the internet to find a list of hardest bosses in Cuphead that doesn't have the dragon in the top five. I'm not even remotely surprised. I didn't find the dragon that difficult. And the dragon is one of the ones that has uh, a moment in it where I'm like, that feels kind of unfair. And that's the in the middle phase, those little flames that jump up almost kind of like... They're so easy to uh, avoid. But they jump in... And it's hard to explain this in words... Uh, without you seeing it or playing through it for yourself, but they they seem to jump in the exact opposite direction. Your brain is wired to jump away from that exact kind of threat. Kind of like when someone flips your controller into the inverse. Yeah, yeah, it it feels very much like that. But uh, so that yeah, that's one of your top three favorites. Cagnicalation, uh, which is yeah. uh, the flower, uh, and that's mainly just because again, it has my favorite song in the game. Uh, and I think yeah. that, and also he has that little kind of shimmy dance where he goes from side to side, and I just, <laughs> it's a fucking ridiculous image. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's not a difficult level, but uh, visually and, and the audio, yeah, they just kind of work hand in hand. And I think I will, I'll probably say Phantom Express, because uh, just as a concept, uh, it's, you know, you're taking on the entire fucking train and yeah, ghost train. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's definitely one of the harder level, uh, bosses as well. Cause I think the splits like four phases. So by the end of it, you are just desperately trying to fucking kill that train at the end. Cause it's, it's, you know, it's definitely, I think the longest, uh, uh excluding the devil and, and King dice. It is one of the, I think the longest boss in the game. Uh, and you know, you're constantly having to not only, try and shoot at the train but you're also having to make sure because so you're on like a, a carriage uh, that follows the train along and on either side of the carriage there are switches and up above there are uh, these uh, pumpkins that have uh, these uh, like pink bricks and when they drop the brick on the, the carriage on either lever it will move the, the carriage to the left or the right and the, the level is split into kind of these th three sections and so depending on which side you're on, you're like more susceptible to being hit by the ghost train. So you're constantly having to hit the train, but also uh, parry attack the carriage on either side on the levers to make sure that you're on the right part of the level. And there's just, oh, there's a whole lot going to it. And I think it's just really well put together. Yeah. Um, hardest bosses. Uh, the Bay Queen can go fuck herself. Really? Uh, that, that last section with the buzzsaws, fuck that Bee Queen. Yeah, you see, 
I had kind of you I think maybe like because the first time you would have fought or you wouldn't have been getting like you wouldn't have heard people talking about it because you were playing it when it came out but as soon as I mentioned rumor honey bottoms uh you and Niner both warned me about the last phase so I think I only needed to get to her last phase a couple of times and I saved up a super and just blasted her and then used the track used the the tracing shot uh until like she was kind of very swiftly dealt with then yeah it's just um, because the first bunch of times you get to that part of it like her buzzsaw arm that comes up you just you don't really have any way to predict where it's coming from or kind of how far across the screen it goes and i mean i couldn't get to the last phase of that boss with more than more than one hit point so she's just you wipe me out a whole bunch of times. Uh, number two. Uh, Captain Briny Beard. Not because it's difficult, though it is, but more it's just fucking tedious because he's a goddamn bullet sponge. And uh, by the time you get to the last uh, phase of that boss uh, where you have the boat and, you know, it starts to, like, chew on something, you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And then this mess, massive fuck-off laser beam comes across the screen and if you're not ducking, we'll wipe you out. Um, I fell for that about 10 times and he's just, he just will not fucking die. And your, your other hardest boss. Um, I, hmm. I remember having trouble with Beppy the clown for a while, but I didn't have as much trouble this time around. So can I say King Dice or is that cheating? No, no. Okay. Fuck um... King Dice. <laughs> just fuck, fuck that guy. <laughs> Uh, favorite bosses for me. Uh, so I, speaking of King Dice, I guess one of my favorite ones is, so the thing that makes it tough about King Dice is that you're going across a, a roulette table and you have to roll a dice between one and three. And if you land on most of the spots, you have to face a little mini boss. And then even when you get through an onslaught of mini bosses, if you make it to the end of the roulette table, then you have to fight King Dice himself. And you remember that one time where I landed on the space that makes you do the whole thing over again? Yeah, I do. And that that uh, I laughed so much at you. And as luck would have it, that did happen to me one time, and I still nearly beat him at the end. And it was gutting because it would have been the most heroic comeback performance if I'd made it. But anyway, um, one of the mini bosses is my favorite. One of my favorites in terms of design, and that is the three drinks. Uh, where it's like the martini glass, the 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 whiskey glass, and the um like the decanter. Um, I just love that design. It's cool. Um, and I also love oh fuck, what's the name of the? the my favorite name for a boss is that stack of poker chips. Uh, what chips Bettigan? Yeah, chips Bettigan. <laughs> it's the best name for a boss in that game, and you you will not prove me wrong on that. Um, other favorite bosses. Um, again, you you talked about. I guess honorable mensch goes to Jimmy the Great, the genie. As frustrating as that battle is, that design is just. It really is one of the enduring memories of that game. That's for sure. Um, I love as much as it kind of frustrated me. Uh, I loved Calamaria. Um, I, I think just as a like a general level and like the the art design of that level, yeah. I think it's incredible. Um, and then what would my third one be? Because like it's it's tough to use the phrase enjoyed. Like I love 
Ribian croaks are great when you realize that they're Ryu and Ken, but frogs. <laughs> like, literally, they do Ryu and Ken's attacks. And, like, it was, I think, a good 10 or 15 runs into trying to beat Ribian croaks before it clicked at me. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Um, But other than that, um, I guess in, in terms of design, um. I really loved what was the name of that boss? Sorry, I'm trying to jog my memory here by just going through a list in the background. Uh, I loved the design of Werner Werman. Like as a like it felt like I was in a fucking Tom and Jerry cartoon. It was great. Um Yeah, they, they, I mean that one so Werner Werman's really weird because it's like it's probably the the easiest of the the last island bosses, um, yeah. but definitely it feels like a breather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But just the whole thing with with the mouse um, trying to take you down, and then suddenly there's a cat at the end. But then there's the mouse inside of the cat at the end of the level when you defeat it. Uh, yeah, that the whole level is really well put together. Um, hardest three bosses in this order from three to one. Fuck that bird. Wally Warbles. Fucking oh absolute prick. Um fuck that dragon. I don't care what you say, Mark. Fuck Grim Grim Matchstick is just a fucking nightmare. Um and I think almost all players of Cuphead will universally agree on this. Fuck that fucking robot. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, the robot, I guess, is kind of an honourable mention for most difficult. Um, just it, it's also it's also an honourable mention for best boss because it is somewhere in a hybrid of referencing both the Iron Giant and Doctor Robotnik. Yeah, I think the problem with it is it's almost impossible to kind of uh, fix down like an actual uh, routine with it because. Like the first phase of the boss, you can kind of try and take out one part of like its head or its chest or its, its stomach, but then you have to deal with like this additional thing that's kind of coming at you. And it's like the closest the game comes to a bullet hell uh, in that kind of R type Ikaruga sort of thing. And uh, and that that kind of throws you off. Both like Dr. Carl's robot and Carla Maria thought that they're very bullet hell in that sort of way. The final phase of Dr. Carl, I didn't actually find that bad, I think. And you and I talked about this in the group chat. It's the fact that that middle phase is so fucking long. Yeah, yeah. That it like it's if you kind of drop into that, like I, I always call it my Tetris mode, like where you're not really you're just kind of zoned in on that final phase of Dr. Carl. It's not too bad. Like it seems bullet hell. But, like, if you don't panic, it's not as bad as you think it is when you look at it first. But the thing is, you so seldom have the focus and energy by the time you've gotten through that second phase. Yeah, he's a bastard. I remember you and Nina, I remember Nina specifically uh, DMing me and screaming and swearing and cursing blind. And I was like, you'll get there, you'll get there, just, it's going to take a while. Mark, it's my game, but it feels like my nomination, but it feels like it's both a you and me game here. So I did the introduction. You do the elevator pitch. So game with uh, Cuphead was my game of the year, 2017. Um, 
I'm fairly... Which, by the way, just so that you keep track, that was the year with Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild. <laughs> so that will just pitch to you what Mark thinks of that game. Yeah, uh, that game going in, it looked like it was going to be something visually like I'd never seen before and was going to take everything that I look for in a, in a video game that I enjoy. I was going to bring it all together in this package and it met what my expectations and then far uh, surpassed them. Um, I imagine it's probably one of your favorite games now at this it point. Is, it? It, it's in my top three favorite games of all time. Uh, yeah. It is there with Mega Man 2 and, and Majora's and Mask. Inexplicably, it's probably in amongst my favorites as well. You know what? There is a swerve that I was not expecting. And it's it's among, I would class it among my my top achievements ever in a video game. Or in life in general. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, probably. I, I, I'm I'm just happy that you did complete it. I I'm more satisfied that you completed it than me completing it. To be quite honest, and you and Nina, for that matter. That it was so exhausting. Like I had such a fist pump moment when I beat the dragon, when I beat the robot, when I beat Dice, that I was so spent by the end of the devil that I was more relieved than anything else. Yeah, I I honestly I, thought that both you and Nina were gonna get to king dice and then just that was it like because he yeah. is a fucking marathon to contend with you know yeah like, it's not and, and that way it feels like we, we talked about this as well that it kind of because he's so difficult it almost feels like the devil who isn't an easy boss is almost an anti-climax by comparison absolutely it is hard, because percent that yeah once you beat king dice you are one thousand percent confident you'll beat the devil Nothing can ever be as bad as King Dice in terms of the, like you said, the absolute slog. But anyway, yeah, fin finish your elevator pitch. And uh, wrap it's up. just it. It is the game that I kind of want Titan Soul. Titan, I wanted Titan Souls to be in terms of being this yeah. just pure boss boss rush. Um, like no, all the fat is trimmed off. It's just just boss after boss after boss in a multiple variety of different uh, scenarios and. Um, ideas in level design and uh, just you know just challenging you in all the different ways that a video game can and it does all of that and I I swear by this game and I can completely understand why it turns some people off because of its difficulty but I don't think for me this game ever does uh, ever does challenge in a way that is unfair everything that is in this game is meticulously thought out uh, and I think it's just it's a craftsmanship of, of uh, art direction and sound direction and video game design and it's uh, for me it is one of the best video games of all time absolutely uh apologies to jack for him having to be so silent during that um but you know maybe someday when that game's on sale we'll, we'll talk him around into uh subjecting himself to it for our amusement um that is going to do it for another episode of link to the cast uh I'd like to thank the lads for being on um, at link to the cast on Twitter is where you need to go get the latest show information follow us on there keep up to date with stuff uh, as we post the link to the cast.wordpress.com is the website where the show notes and links to the show get posted individually I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter Mark is at lithium project Jack is at Jack Lazell we shall see you in a week with another brand new episode of link to the cast keep well everybody we'll see you soon and I was robbed from E3 